everybody. It's your favorite reconstructionist, Eric Brown and Phil Relly, and welcome to episode number 35 of the one and only show bringing you tips and tricks to working vehicle collision cases from the best experts in the industry every Wednesday. Today's topic is swipe right on your expert. So hold on tight. Here we go. Before I finish this intro, another life will be lost to a vehicle crash, and the $500 billion economic impact of vehicle crashes will only keep growing. Are you an attorney, expert witness, police officer, or insurance adjuster in charge of negotiating, investigating, or litigating vehicle collision cases? If so, then you're in the right place. The Expert Angle podcast was created for you because we believe that the industry must evolve, grow, and get better daily. And the only way to do that is by building the best team of experts possible to ensure that these crashes are handled efficiently, accurately, and honestly in order to get justice for the victims. We're Eric Brown and Phil Relly, and this is The Expert Angle. Welcome back to the show, everyone. This episode of the Expert Angle podcast is brought to you by Virtual Crash Accident Reconstruction Software. If you are tired of having to purchase, upkeep, and run multiple programs during an investigation, Virtual Crash is the cure. With Virtual Crash, you can build 3D environments using your actual scene data. You can simulate, animate, and create awesome visuals. You can also use the new momentum analysis tool for vehicle motion. Basically, Virtual Crash is the complete accident reconstruction software solution. Visit vcrashusa.com today to download your free trial or schedule a live one-on-one demonstration. Phil, man, are we excited today because we have our second favorite attorney on the show. You know who our favorite attorney is? Everybody else. Well, I don't know. Uh, if you're going to call second favorite. Uh. <laughs> yeah. She's your already second favorite attorney us. is about to leave the room. Right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So we have Jessica Bacon. Welcome back to the show, Jessica. I, I would do your intro uh, again, but I think everybody knows you because you've uh, you've been on the show once and you've been a guest host on the show, which is amazing. I have. Happy to and, be back. And I was going to have you guest host this one and I thought me and you could interview Phil. But uh, but then oh, okay. I was like, I don't I don't think people want to hear from him as it is. So why not? <laughs> Yeah, you know, but no, this is a great show and it's a great show to follow up on because we did one with Melissa Day, who was a prosecutor. She talked about, you know, qualifying your expert and how to get them through all that. And, and so Jessica's going to kind of pick up from the end of that. And we really wanted to sit down and talk about how you get the most from your experts during des testimony and in the courtroom, because you do a great job getting people in front of the jury and, and have just absolutely slayed it in court, um, getting juries and judges and everybody else to like your expert and and really get the most out of them so i thought this would be a great little episode to, to bring on for the people and uh, and present sounds good let's give the people what they want Woo! all right so i guess here's the first thing and, and melissa talked about it what she does and uh, you know but everybody does things differently and there's a bunch of different perspectives out there so i guess my thing would be what What's the first thing you do? Let's start here with how do you get the jury and the judge and everybody in the courtroom to love your expert? I know it's hard with like Phil, but like if you had a good expert like me or something, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Right. Well, I, I think it starts from the very beginning when you're choosing your expert, because you don't just want to choose an expert who's going to uh, you know, give you the conclusions you're looking for, but you need to choose an expert from the beginning that is easy for the jury to like. 
Um, and that's why it's important. And I talked about this in the first podcast. It's important to meet with your expert face to face at at some point. And now, you know, with Zoom and everything, that should be really easy to do. Um, you want to meet with them face to face and just see how they come across, not behind their computer, not on paper. How are they coming across as a person? And are they, do they come across in a way that the jury is going to be able to relate to? You know, you have to, you know, have some charisma uh, to be able to, you know, persuade the jury and be able to um, get the jury to want to listen to what you have to say. If you just, you know, come on the stand and, you know, go through your qualifications and, you know, your monotone and you start to sound like the Charlie Brown teacher, then the jury's not going to listen to you. Uh, you know, they're going to zone out. And what you have to say is extremely important, you know, in the case. Um, I think you need to, you know, select an expert that comes across to a jury as confident um, so that they can, uh, you know, teach the jury. You know, you, you want to be talking to the jury and teaching them, you know, just like you would, you know, that's right. You guys, you know, you teach um, reconstruction as part of your job. So should be easier, you know, for you guys probably than a lot of other experts, but, but talking to them in a way that you're, you're educating them. You're not just telling them these are, you know, these are the conclusions, you know, and, and I think attorneys need to start earlier in their case with getting the jury excited about their expert, you know, give them a preview, you know, show them, them, you know, you're showing them a trailer almost uh, in, in voir dire and in opening and, you know, getting them excited. Like, Oh, this is the guy we heard about now. Now it's time to, you know, see what he says. It was just, it was weird. The first time I ever, you know, testified for, for Jessica in court. And uh, you know, when, when you get called in, the bailiff comes out in the hallway and they're like, Mr. Brown, they're ready for you. And they opened both the doors and she had a fog machine going. And it was like the, the Chicago Bulls intro music playing on her 1980s boombox. It was weird because like I, I like kind of did that run in and you like high five all the jurors and everything. And yeah, she she really right. built it up. It was you are a smoke show. What can I Yeah, say? it was it was pretty neat to see. I was like, well, yeah, he's was, a smoke and mirror show, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, and uh, you know, I think you, you really hit it on the head and and because I you know, in all honesty, and we do the same thing from the expert point of view. So for all the experts listening, this is very important for you guys too. Like when we talk to an attorney, the very first conversation I ever have with an attorney is just a rapport building conversation because you either have a dynamic with the attorney or you don't, you know what I mean? And, and it's, and it's the same thing as your, our testimony from the expert is only as good as what the attorney asks us, talks about, presents, you know, things like that. And, and you guys really lead the show. And so I think for the attorneys, that's important to hear is, you know, your expert is going to feed off of your energy. And if you go into court and you're just like, like Ben Stein, you know, and, and you're just, you know, I, so Phil, <laughs> is it true that you investigated this crash? You know what I mean? Like Phil's going to be like, yeah, yep. <laughs> you know, and it's, and it's just, and it's, it's really hard to get excited yeah. when, when you have that in, in the courtroom. Um, so yeah, I think, I think you hit it right on the head. 
you just, you got to have that, that conversation with your expert up front and just get to know each other. Right. Right. Cause you want it to be, and, and I know we'll talk about trial prep and stuff, but you want it to be conversational, you know, when, when you're on the stand, you know, yeah. and the best way to sound conversational is to have had multiple conversations, you know, Yep. And so for all you guys that are listening to the show, I'm going to give you a little insight here on on public speaking. So for people that present on stage or speak in public or do any kind of sales, because I, I come from a, a sales background and, you know, the, there's four things that build rapport with people. So when you're on the phone, literally, this is what I judge attorneys on when I talk to you guys on the phone is do you use, it's an acronym called FORM, Family, Occupation, Recreation, Motivation. Do you talk about any of those four things? Because like talking about the weather doesn't ever build rapport with anybody. That's not actually really good communication skills. Good communication is around talking about family, what you do for a living, what you do for fun and your motivation. So what drives you? So listen for those. Next time you talk to, a, talk to an expert, Write that down on a piece of paper, form, family, occupation, recreation, motivation, and just check off if they talk about any of those four things. You'd be interesting. It's interesting to see who does and who doesn't. Yeah. I don't know. Just a fun yeah, little, that's a good tip. That's just a, good a fun tip. little like exercise, that. you know, like because. That. And I knew, and funny thing about that is the first time that we met in person, what, you know, seven, eight years ago, um, we, we were in the parking lot, you know, walking over to the scene and one of the first things you said when you got out of the car, you made a reference to the fact that you had twins. Mm -hmm. And so I knew, you know, right from the get go, you know, that you were, you know, a father and that you had twin daughters. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Good conversation skills. That's what it's all right. about. Good communication skills. Right. So, it, you know, and it's, you hit, you hit on a, a key word in there and, and this is one it feels really big on is, you said yeah. that, you know, you need a, you need smoke a show. Was that the keyword that I used? What was it? Smoke show. Was that? No, 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 huh? <laughs> no, but you said you need a, you need an expert that's confident. And so this is, this is the, this is real big here. I, I think that a lot of people get confused, confident with cocky. You know what I mean? And so they either try to avoid being overconfident because they come off cocky or they just put it out there and, and come off cocky. Right. I, I don't know. So what's like when you say that, what's the difference and, and how can you see the difference as the attorney when the expert comes in? I mean, can you tell a difference or do you see a difference between confidence and cocky in the courtroom? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. And I think, you know, with our own experts, that's the fear. The fear is that um, that they're going to come across it as cocky and they're going to lose the jury right away um, because the jurors are judging everything and everyone. So I think uh, it's an important distinction. And I think the distinction lies in when I think confident, I think you are you know that you are well educated, you know that you did a complete and thorough investigation you know that your conclusions are right. You know, you have that knowledge based on, or you have that confidence based on your knowledge and your experience, you know, and I think that's confidence. I think cocky is when you know all that and you shove it down everybody's throat, <laughs> you know? Um, 
and, and it makes you, it becomes condescending, you know, it's, you know, and I think with experts, the cross exam is where that line tends to be crossed between confident and cocky because well, when you're doing your direct exam you're you know you've, you've prepared with your attorney you're you're going over everything you know but when cross exam comes you go on the defensive naturally i yeah. mean and you know the other attorneys get a little nervous too at cross exam because we're just hoping that you know you stand strong and, and you stay confident and you, you know, stay firm, you know, in your, in your convictions. But I think and so there's me, a tendency, especially no offense, but with police officers that's exactly come across hockey on the stand. Yeah. And I was going to say, so I think most experts <laughs> come from a law enforcement background and I, I don't know, Phil, I mean, you know, because I, I know this was something that you talked a lot about with with the attorney that you worked with on your Daubert challenge, because literally that was what, like six hours you're on the stand mm-hmm. of just getting beat up, getting drugged through the mud, questioned on everything for hours and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. And and what's the what's the secret? Because I, I think most most cops that are listening right now that have business in the expert field um, you, you know, you have that instant kind of denial. I just said that. And you're like, Oh, not me. Right. Because you're <laughs> cocky, <laughs> but I'm telling you cops come off. We do. If you ever actually objectively just listen to us, we are very condescending. We are, you know? And so, I mean, like, Phil, like when you were on the stand, I mean, how did you keep from like jumping over the, the, you know, the box there and like chasing the, the, the other attorney around the courtroom and, you know, choking them out. I don't know. He's <laughs> <laughs> like lots of Xanax, lots, lots of Xanax. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. There was a, a point in time where you started going into cop mode and it just totally became about, I'm done with this. And you had to you had to dig deep and figure out wait wait, wait a minute you know um, it, it's tough for you know if you're for especially for police officers I think or someone that's very uh, a a type personality to um, when you get your buttons pushed and, and they keep pushing that same button I mean you just literally want to say I, uh, move on I'm done you know um, but you that's where you got just got to maintain your professionalism you got to you know remember why you're there. You're not there in the capacity necessarily as a police officer, and that in that situation, I was not. Um, and just it, it was tough. There was there was a few times where I had to ask him to just repeat questions because I totally blacked out and was like, I got to find my my neutral zone my internally. Zen. Yeah, I had <laughs> to def- I had to definitely find it, or you know, I was probably gonna say something that was, you know, just because I wanted to to throw a I wanted to throw a dart. And uh, and that's just not what you need to do. Um, Phil had Phil had Yankee candles set up on the front of the, uh, <laughs> on the front of the stand, <laughs> burning incense. <laughs> Did you have a little but, gong that you would like turn around and hit every time? <laughs> I mean, I get it. You know, I I do. I get it. You know, they had a job to do, and, and I understand that. But it is tough when you're the one on the stand, um, just constantly, you know, deflecting blows to the head. It's tough to maintain focus on, you know, what the goal is. Um, 
I understand it's just their job and, and all that, but it uh, preparing for something like that is 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 what you got to do. I mean, it 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 made me a, a totally different person. The experience just because it was like, wow, I never had dreamed that that would be an environment that you'd ever find yourself in. Yeah. With not ever being in that situation, that aggressive of a situation, it was like, wow, you know, it's kind of eye opening. So yeah. it, it, it was uncomfortable because you'd never been in that area before. And then you find sure. yourself in it and you're like, holy crap. Well, you basically yeah. had to sit there for six hours and be bullied because that's what that's what those hearings are. Just Yeah. And it's yeah. and it's tough when you're as a, you know, as a police officer, it's tough to sit there. It's just not what you're trained to do. Right. So, so Jessica, let me ask you, coming from the outside world, and, and you you do have some experience with cops because you're a magistrate. I am. So let me just let me just ask this point blank for any of you experts that are listening right now and you're like, I don't know that these guys are really on track. Is there a difference in the way that cops talk to people versus the way normal people talk? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, there there is there is a difference. And and you know, with um with with any expert whether it's, you know, a medical expert, a reconstructionist, a, you know, um, a, a cop, you know, on the stand, it, it's, it's important that that person has the confidence to know that they're the smartest person in the room on that topic, on their particular topic, right? But their goal should be to relate, relate to the jury and relay to the jury that knowledge that that they have so that the jurors feel feel empowered and the jurors feel like okay he's he's the be all end all on this particular topic and he wants me to also learn something here today that I can then apply you know when I'm in the jury room and a lot of times police officers you know they believe they're the smartest person in the room on on that topic that they're there on but that's all they want people to know is that they're the smartest person in the room on, on this topic. I don't think they really care if anybody walks out of that room with any more knowledge than they walked in with. Yeah. You know, so. Well, and I, and I think that's it is because I think police officers and experts in general tend to, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they tend to say they go in with the attitude of like, I'm going to control the situation and I'm going to tell you as the jurors, how to find like, Oh, this guy is not a fault for this, or this guy is a fault for this because yeah. I said so. And I'm smart. Right. Well, instead <laughs> of, and I love that you, you kind of said this instead of approaching it more like, you know what, I'm going to empower you to draw your own conclusions right. based on the tools I'm going to teach you to come to you, the conclusion, which I believe is going to be consistent with mine. Right. But, but here's the thing, too, with police officers, especially, is 99.99% of the time we're testifying in a criminal world where right. what we are testifying to is the elements of a crime. Mm -hmm. right. So it's it's strictly based on the on establishing the elements and so on. And it's very, very, very straightforward. It's very, very, very bullet pointed. Um, your opinions don't play any role in the criminal investigation testimony because you're only setting the, the, the basis for the elements to be satisfied in order to establish the probable cause and so on. And, right. Like in and, domestic and, violence, and, your opinion doesn't matter. 
and right. and ninety nine percent of the time, that's all you're testifying to, the you know contributing circumstances and philosophy and science and all that has absolutely no bearing in the courtroom. So if you are testifying ninety nine point nine percent of your time in this fashion, and then you find yourself in a civil situation or a civil case testifying on that 0.01%, it, it, it is, it's tough to, to cross that line and, and shift your, your testimony style. Yeah. Especially because yeah. in the civil world, you got to realize that us as the experts don't control the courtroom. And I think that's hard for a lot of experts to give up that control because they're the very alpha male or alpha female type of personality. And in a courtroom, we're out of our element because it's your guys's world, Jessica, right? I mean, the, the attorneys and the judge run that world, not us. And, and that's, I think that's, that's a tough dynamic for some experts to, to grasp. You know, and for police officers too, I, as much as I hate to say this, but- See, Look, you know, Phil won't even let us have a conversation now. He's just like, I'm gonna take control. Yeah. <laughs> Eric and, and Eric, jump in here. And if, and if you say the opposite of what you should say, I'm coming through the screen. Yeah. Um, but let's just be honest on the law enforcement side. Is there a great working relationship between defense attorneys and law enforcement? Oh, crap. I was going to say, yeah, like I golf Why with some of my defense attorneys. No, it's always, that, <laughs> this, it's always this versus this. Yeah. And it, and it's always that fight. You know, it's always the rivalry. So in the civil side, it is entirely different. And you find yourself, you're expert if they come from a law enforcement background. That's something I think on the civil side, attorneys need to be very cognizantly aware of, of of that personality because if they have that trait of oof you know they view you know the courtroom as the the battleground that may not be the person you want sitting in that bench testifying as the expert yeah right and i think it's harder you know for police officers too because when when a reconstructionist does you know, has got a case, you know, from the very beginning that this case could end up in trial and you could end up on the stand. So you can kind of do everything with that in mind, you know, knowing that you're going to at some point be questioned on it. Mm -hmm. When a police officer is doing a police report, you know, they, they don't assume that they're ever going to be in court being asked questions about decisions that they made that, you know, at the time or at the mm -hmm. scene. I don't know. So I think Jessica's it's harder for them. Jessica's never met, them, you know, to, never met one of these on overtime hungry officers at, you know, five minutes before the end of their shift. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, they are doing things right there. <laughs> they, they are pretty confident it's going to lead to a court case. Um, <laughs> they want that. They want that callback time, that court time. I tell you, there's, there's some officers that make a living off of court time. But no. And so, you know, I would say so then what's the what's the secret here? Because. Ultimately, what what that previous little tangent that we kind of went down led into is jurors and ultimately the judge getting pissy with your expert. OK, so how do you keep the other side, you know, as 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 the attorney, whether you're on the plaintiff side or defense side, how do you keep the other side from beating up on your expert, putting them on the on the defensive so bad or or, you know, so how do you block some of those attacks or how do you keep that from happening without pissing off a judge and jury with endless objections? Because every time you object, you know, the judge is going to call a sidebar because you guys both argue, you know, you're like, I object, blah, 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 blah. Then the other attorney's like, well, their objection is BS. I mean, in, in nicer terms, sometimes, you know, because blah, blah, blah. And then the judge is going to say, all right, everybody come up here. 
you know, and then they turn, they push that button and that white noise, the static, because for some reason we can't have white noise, like the ocean, right. That, that doesn't work, you know, or like whatever, whatever they call the white noise machines you turn off for your kids. Like, right. Maybe we should make it the flight 328 engine. Right. Yeah. Like it legit, <laughs> like it legit is just static and they play that for the jurors. Right. And it, it does, it gets old at, you know, every, every five minutes when they turn that on and you got to have a sidebar. And so how do you, how do you keep the other side from beating up on your expert without doing that over and over and over again? Mm-hmm. Right. So clearly we can't, you know, control how, how the other attorney decides to act. Um, we can only try to control how you respond to it. And it still goes along with, you know, being confident and having, you know, good trial prep in the sense that, you know, you shouldn't give them anything to, to beat you up on, Um you know, address things, the the attorney should address things in direct with you that might be kind of like the smoking guns or or the points that a defense attorney is going to try to beat you up on. You know, we want to take the wind out together. We should take the wind out of their sails from the get-go, you know, on on direct. And um, as long as you guys remain confident in, in your conclusions, they shouldn't really be able to, to beat you up. You know, defense attorneys love to say, you know, well, well, isn't it possible that everything could have happened the complete opposite way that you're saying it did, you know, isn't that possible? You know, no, it is not. If it was possible, that would have been in your report. You know, it's not possible. Yeah. This, is, this is how it happened because, and that's what they do. And that's when they, when you stay confident, that's when they do try to beat you up. And we have to object that something's been asked and answered or that they're, you know, badgering you or, or whatever. Um, but I think the best way to, to avoid getting beat up is to just not give them that opening. Yeah. So, you know, and, and you hit on a key thing, trial prep. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, because there are working for, with a bunch of different attorneys, I have noticed a lot of attorneys, either have us come to the office and they're like, Hey, why don't we meet? Yeah, you know, whatever. And, and it may be my favorite ones are attorneys that call me and say, Hey, let's meet at top golf and, and, you know, discuss. And, uh, like that's yes. If you take me to top golf for trial prep, FYI, typically I waive my trial prep fees. Um, okay. but you know, I'm just saying nice. just that out there. Um, Was I charged extra when you had to come to my office till yeah, because midnight you didn't to in top. a snowstorm. Yeah, because I kept trying to hit golf balls inside your office and you wouldn't let me. So I was, yeah, you absolutely got charged extra. Um, the, uh, but no, it, you know, it's so during trial prep, I mean, is this where it's important to, to get a game plan? And we've talked about this, I think, in previous episodes. But if there's bad, uh, unfavorable facts in the case. Negative facts. Negative facts. Negative there you facts. go. Negative facts. Um, do, are those things that you want to bring up and, and talk about before the other side gets a chance? Yes, absolutely. You know, that's extremely important. And also, you know, during trial prep, we would go over if there's an opposing expert, you know, yeah. um, so that we can address in your testimony everything the other guy is going to say, you know, and why he's wrong and, and why, you know, you're right in a confident, not cocky way. Uh, but it's, I think it's extremely important when you're prepping for trial to prep the direct exam of your expert with your expert. 
you know, or, you know, or at least go through an outline with them to make sure that they know what what kind of answers you're looking for with the questions because we can't we're not allowed to lead you you know on direct so i can't you know ask you a question you give me an answer and then i can't say is there will you done is there anything else you might want to say as part of that answer you know anything out? We can't do that. So. Are you sure you didn't use the momentum formula to calculate the person's <laughs> <Right>. speed? <laughs> do you want to tell us more about why they were in the right lane and how you might know that? Um, yeah, yeah. So I think prep is important. And I mean, you've always done that with me for our trial prep. We've gone through and, you know, outlined your direct testimony together so that it, one, keeps us conversational, but two, um, lets us kind of get, you know, in front of what cross exam is, is going to be like, you know, I, um, you know, ask you about, you know, did you go to college? Because not having a college degree, you know, if, if they're the ones who get to, you know, talk about that, then right. the jurors might be, you know, put off by that you know, from the get go. That's why, you know, setting you up to talk about your military experience and, and everything. Um, right. I felt it was a really good thing for us for the jury. And, you know, in that trial, I think the only objection that the defense made that was overruled was when they tried to object when you were talking, the judge no. was just so enamored with you. She just, well, and that's it, you know, yeah, because we, <laughs> you know, and, and we know, I mean, especially, you know, when a reconstructionist goes against an engineer, the, the college education, you know, is, is going to come up. I mean, let's just be honest, because typically engineers have a master's degree or a doctorate in a lot of cases. And a lot of your reconstructionists are police officers who aren't going to have degrees or if they do, it's in criminal justice, which let's just be honest. Criminal justice is literally the liberal arts degree of the police world. Um, it's really not good. That's for also what my college degree is in. Liberal arts. Uh, criminal justice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I was like, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, but yeah, it does. It goes a long way because you bring it up first and you're like, well, did you ever go to college? Uh, you know what? Yeah, I was because I was, and I was enrolled in college to be a pilot. That was actually going to be my degree. And I was attending Kent state on September 11th when, uh, two planes, you guys may have heard about it. Um, two planes got flown into the world trade center. Right. And uh, and at that point, instead, I left for the Marine Corps and I spent the next couple of years fighting for our country in Iraq. And then like most most, you know, most attorneys like, oh, <laughs> because if you're going to continue to beat me up on that, I think a lot of jurors are kind of sympathetic to that. Um, sure. that of, uh, you know, sure. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I would think and you just mentioned you know, a comparison with reconstructionists and engineers. And I know you guys have talked about this on uh, previous shows, but I would think it would be, you know, fairly easy to, you know, distinguish um, your testimony from that of, of an engineer. Like I would love it if I had, you know, if we had a trial that I had you on my side and there's an engineer, you know, on the other side. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's, and that's true because, and it could go either way. So if you yeah. have a crash and you have the reconstructionist, it's, yeah. it's preferable. But if you yeah. have like a product failure or something like that, sure. then obviously, you know, you're, you're, you're praying to God that you have the engineer and the other side just hired a reconstructionist because right. they are, they're two very different things. And so when right. you talk about that education background, I think that's where it becomes important because an engineer's whole education 
you know, think about that. Like if, if, if you're dealing with a product failure case and like, because you do a lot of asbestos cases and stuff like that too. So you, you hire asbestos experts, I'm guessing typically. Right. I mean, like you don't hire, you know, a general laborer, Right. You hire somebody that's specific in what you do. And so the same is, is true here. I mean, if you have a product liability case, you're going to need an engineer. These are the guys that design the cars. You know what I mean? Right. Like they literally, they learn about vibration and products and how to design and, and CAD and manufacturing principles and computer program. I mean, they learn all of this stuff. Like you have to have an engineer for that. You know, that's, I'm telling you as a reconstructionist, that is outside of our wheelhouse. Like you're not going to hire crash tech. We are not going to take a a product liability case for the argument that the design of the car was wrong. If that makes sense, we will take and do, and this is the best case scenario, the at scene portion, you know what I mean? Like we will investigate the crash and do the speeds and do all this stuff and then give that to the engineer and let them use the findings from the scene to now talk about, you know, how the product failure, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, the education background is so important because there's very distinct differences. Engineers, even if they've gone to reconstruction training, engineers, I still maintain, are not reconstructionists in the fact that they have never been on the scene of a live crash ever, right? ever. Like, and I don't know, I mean, as an attorney, is there a difference that, is that something that needs to be pointed out to a jury? Oh that yeah, was, of course. And, you know, and that's what I was saying um, with attorneys, with it being important to start uh, building up your expert before, you know, you testify, you know, and in opening and, and when you're on the stand, you know, plaintiffs, we get to go first. So having you on the stand, we can talk about, you know, Hey, you know, tomorrow the jury's going to hear from Mr. Jones of of this, Mr. you know, company. Jones and me. <laughs> I don't know. Is that how that song goes? That was goes? terrible. That was terrible. But isn't that um, how he kind of sings it? I think he sings it kind no, of. No, he does not. All right. You know what? I'll, I'll bleep that no, out and put the fun actual fact, song in. <laughs> fun fact about him. Um, he has never sung that song live the same way twice. Really? He does a different arrangement of that song every single time it's performed live. Yeah. No kidding. Oh, fun other fact. fun fact. The they just remastered uh, Rick Astley's, uh, you know, Never Gonna Let You Down song. Yeah. And it's amazing. The remastered version is so good. Listen to it. Download it today. It's on Amazon. Fun fact. <laughs> this podcast has been derailed. Brought to you. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, man. Whatever. Okay. So. So, so anyway, what I was saying about Mr. Jones. Yeah. Tomorrow is, you're going to hear from Mr. Jones. <laughs> yeah. If there's a real Mr. Jones who is an engineer, this is not about you. Um <laughs> So uh, now I don't even know what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) with you on the stand, if we know that Mr. Engineer is going to speak the next day, you know, we can address that with the jury, you know, way in advance of even talking. We can say, you know, uh, the jury's going to hear Mr. Jones tomorrow and um, hear about his conclusions and his findings. And, you know, do you have an opinion on those? (laughs) And then you can come in and say, you know, in a confident, not cocky way, you can come in and say that, well, you know, he, he's an educated guy and whatnot, but, you know, he, he wasn't there. He's, yeah. he's never been on a, on a crash. He's never, you know, 
all of that. So, yep. And Phil, I mean, dude, you experienced that first firsthand. I mean, you had a crash where you were working the scene and the other engineer was there at the same time. And you always say, because I mean, he spent almost the entire time asking you what every mark on the roadway was from, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and yeah. it, but it, it does. I mean, guys, it makes, it makes a difference. So, and it was, I, um, that's actually when you, when you talk about that crash or that case, it was interesting because when we were at, we kind of shadowed each other for an entire day. We started out at, at the um, inspection yards and it was interesting to watch, watch him um, on his inspection. Cause we were, you know, we certainly would share a little bit of the same interest in certain areas, but then he took off in, in really weird uh, locations of the of the vehicles, uh, looking for specific, you know, what he was looking for from an engineer, you know, lens, um, which kind of made me kind of, hmm, the heck's he doing? You know, crashes <laughs> up here. Why is he looking back here? Um, I thought maybe Jimmy Hoffa was back there and he's not going to get all the glory for finding him. So <laughs> I don't want to be there. Right. But, uh, so it was kind of interesting there. And then, like you say, when we got out to the, when we got out to the scene, you could definitely see the difference in, I don't want to say comfort level, but, um, and and that may be where that, where it falls, what category it falls. But when we were looking at the cars, he was just entrenched, you know, couldn't pry him away. And once we got to the scene, it was kind of the squirrel syndrome. Yeah. Fish out of water experience. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, especially working trucking cases, you know, cause we did, uh, uh, an inspection where you had me who, you know, me and you have, have our background in, in commercial truck enforcement. And then the other expert was a retired trooper that was one of their Mickeys. Who's the, the commercial motor vehicle inspectors. And then you had an engineer and it was funny because me and the, and the retired trooper were kind of on the same, you know, like we're very like brake chambers, tires, you know, looking for cracks and frame, like the stuff that we inspect and the engineers out there with like a micrometer of measuring like the width of the metal utilized in the frame rail and stuff. And it was just, it was so interesting to yeah. see the difference. And it's, it's really neat, you know, yeah. to, to actually observe the differences. Um, but yeah. So, all right. So Jessica, now that we've gotten completely off topic. Let me ask. So we've talked now about prepping for your trial, keeping the, so, and you hit on this, right. Is uh, so to keep your expert from getting beat up on, right. You say, be confident, not cocky. Right. Okay. Right. But like, so ultimately, and we're going to have to, I don't know if we're going to have to bleep this out or not, if this is going to meet Apple standards, but for the most part, I think to sum that up, basically what you're saying is put your balls out there, right? Yeah. I mean, to, to be blunt about it or, you know, the female equivalent, I don't know, but you know, it's, I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Um, know. So, yeah. you know, but I think that a lot of experts get scared doing that because they're afraid if they commit to something that they're going to get backed into a, a corner. And so the, the easiest thing I can relate this to, hopefully, because I think a lot of attorneys are, are fans of theater, is if you've seen the show Hamilton, right? And Aaron Burr is a big part of the show. And all throughout the entire, the like almost kind of the subplot of the play is Aaron Burr never commits to anything. He is the king of non-committal. Right. You know, and, and in fact, he actually, that's the advice he gives to Hamilton. Never, never let him know what you're against or what you're for. Yeah. And ultimately that's what leads to Hamilton endorsing Benjamin Franklin 
for the presidency is, you know, he's like, even though I don't agree with Ben Franklin, he has convictions and beliefs and Aaron Burr has none. Right. You know, and so like, how do you, how do you be brave and put it out there without being afraid of getting backed into a corner? Yeah. And I think it just starts with knowing that you did a, a proper and thorough investigation, knowing that everything you put in your report, you know, is is accurate and that you're going to be able to, you know, have that in mind when you're doing your report that you're going to have to back this up. Um, and and like I said before, you know, when you get that that defense attorney question, you know, but is it possible that or how can you be so sure? No, it is not possible. It didn't happen that way, you know, and they're going to, you know, if they say that Mr. So-and-so is coming in to speak and, you know, he had different conclusions than you, um, are, are you saying he's wrong? Yes, I am. Like, and, and there's a way, you know, to do that and not sound cocky. Don't say, you know, you should listen to me jurors because I'm better than him or, or whatnot, but just stick by it. Don't leave room, you know, for possibility. Because if they start going down this this path, if they don't get the answer that they want, then, you know, that's when we object. And we say, ask an answer and, and move on. You know, if you give them a little bit of room, you know, they say, give an inch, take a mile or whatever, however that goes. Um, that's exactly what they'll do, you know. And, um, and I think it's important to... So when you're answering questions, if it's something that just wasn't part of the scope of your investigation, you know, say that, you know, and, and don't give an answer. Say, you know, yeah, that may be true, but I wasn't asked to determine. Yeah. Speaking, yeah. I wasn't, so I was never asked to opine uh, on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if I had been asked to opine on that, maybe say like, I, I, I would have said, you know, X, Y, and Z, but you know, um, just stay, you know, reined in, you know, stay in your lane, do you guys like to say, and um, know that you're right. <laughs> what yeah. you said was right. If you were wrong, I wouldn't put you on the stand. You know, if I thought you were going to get beat up because you were a liar for hire that day, um, you know, I, I wouldn't use you. I, would, I wouldn't put you on the stand. So just you, know that the attorney that you're working with should instill the confidence in you, you know, through from the very beginning, through trial prep and all of that. So just don't be afraid to say the other person is wrong or yeah. there is no possibility that it could have happened another way. Well, and I think, you know, a lot of experts, we never are there for the closing arguments. Typically, we're, we leave. You know, we, we get on the stand, we say our piece. You should stick we, around. We, we might. Well, I'm saying typically I've stayed around for a couple of closing. Art. Typically, here's the problem, though, is like me, because I'm kind of if you guys haven't noticed, uh, <laughs> I like to talk and, and I'm, I'm sort of showmany a little bit. I don't know if that's a word. Showmany. Okay. I don't show. I don't know. Anyway, um, a, a bit of a showman. Yeah. So like I kind of want to beat my head against something. Uh, the wall during closing arguments. Cause I'm like, ah, I would have said this, even though I'm like nowhere near it. So I like, you know, I'm like, I'm writing my own closing arguments and I'm yeah. like, I probably couldn't say half of it, but whatever, <laughs> you know? Um, but no, so I think that they never are there to hear the closing. And so if you give the other attorney an inch, 
You know, if they do those hypotheticals, well, you know, is it possible to happen? This is it, po- is it is it true though that the other side is going to use all of that against you in the closing? So while you think you're doing yourself a favor by being non-committal, what's their closing going to sound like? Right. That that's the only part of your testimony that they will recite back to the jury. You know, is when you said, you know possible that and i understand there's a different burden of proof when you're talking civil and criminal so you know in a in a criminal case there just has to be that you know one person you're making them question it you know in civil cases we just have to prove that it more likely than not the crash happened the way that we said it did the way that you said it did um but uh yeah so, and so I guess the question, then where's that threshold fall at? Because me and Phil talk about this a lot when we do peer reviews. Okay. And like, say we calculate our speed. or argue. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're being really, have, really nice right now. Spirited, Let's just call it We have is. a spirited discussion about yes, this. Yes, we do. So, um, but no, so like we calculate a speed range of 35 to 40 miles an hour. Okay. Let's just say hypothetically. And the other attorney's like, well, is it possible? Because my expert calculated a different speed range is 41 miles an hour. Is it possible they could have been going 41? Because, and I think a lot of experts would hedge on that. And they'd be like, eh, because they don't, wanna, they don't wanna argue over one mile an hour, right? So they're gonna be like, I, I guess it would be possible, right? But then tell me, isn't the attorney, as an attorney, wouldn't the next question you would ask would be, well, then would 42 miles 42 an hour be, be possible? possible? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, okay, so what about 43? You yeah. know, and all of a sudden, this the speed range now has gone because at some <laughs> point, you as the expert are going to draw the line in the sand, right? Yeah. And you're going to be like, no, that's unreasonable. Oh, okay, right. so 47 was reasonable, but 48 is unreasonable. But right. now what you've done is you've created a speed range of 35 to 47. <laughs> right. You, you know what I mean? Like, and it just draws into question everything you've done now. Right. So just, you, <clears throat> yeah. 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 And when you put that's why I said when you put things in your report, you know, you're putting them in there for a reason, you know, and in that hypothetical, the reason is because 35 would be the the lowest number and 40 would be the highest number, right. you know, and here's why, you know, and, yeah. that, and that's the thing. I mean, you're as long as you're able to to back it up. Right. You know, it's like that kid rock song, cocky. I'm not going to say the exact lyric here, but he says, you know, it's not bragging if you back it up. Right. I think you have to sing it. I sing. I sing for you guys. I think you have to Oh no, you do not sing. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so you know, and that's it. You know, so when they say, well, okay, so you calculated 35 to 40, is 41 possible? Is it possible that your client could have been going 41? Based on my analysis, no. No. Well, and that's what you know, a lot of um spirited discussions that Eric and I will have. And it, it and it may be someone else's report we're looking at. It could be, you know, another agency. It could be, you know, where another agency is throwing a report our way to look at. Um, or it could be another whatever. Um, and, and we'll de- debate that very heatedly sometimes about, you know, is the ranges that the uh, the individual um, looking at and came to and in the, in the, in the background variables they used – does it make sense? Does it match? Does it, you know, does it fit? Does that piece of the puzzle really fit? Or is it a, a piece that's just off a little bit? And and that's where it's going to be important for the expert that's testifying. Whatever they committed to in writing and their findings, um, they better be 
comfortable 100% that what they used is, is the best puzzle piece for that. Um, because if they just are throwing numbers at it, because, well, this is what the book says from here to here, and I'm going to blanket apply it. That's going to, that's going to come out in testimony. If the other side, the the counsel for the other side is worth their salt, they're going to catch that. Yep. You know, yeah. cause you guys have seen it. You've seen, I, I guarantee, you know, Jessica, you've seen over the years, the same numbers keep coming in over and over and over and over. Um, and you're going to start catching on to that. Man, it seems awfully strange that in every state in the United States, it's always 0.7 to 0.8. Wow. Why is that? You know, <laughs> right. when yeah. really, you know, it's not. And, and, and it's stuff like that where that that whole is it possible that it could have been 41 instead of 40 really comes into play. That's probably somebody that 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 knows what they're looking at. Yep. Yeah. And I think I think the funny thing about you, Phil, I think the the most confident I have heard you in um, in response to someone saying, is it possible is when you're telling me that something is not possible. <laughs> like you're super strong with me. Is it possible the driver could have seen that person laying in the road in all dark clothing? No, Jessica. No, it is not possible. <laughs> like, it is not. Like, you're very confident when telling me something is not possible. So I would assume you're the same way on the stand. I was just going to say in his explanation, if you noticed, uh, he said, you know, and I, maybe it's because you just celebrated a, a birthday, Jessica, but when Phil said, Don't remind me. Did you, did you, right? But did you hear Phil the way called he called me on he my goes, birthday? But did, did you hear what he said though? He said, In all of those years, Jessica. <laughs> I mean, he really put a lot of emphasis on that. I think that was a dig. <laughs> yes. Well, you didn't call no, me on my birthday. Phil not. did. I was, I was giving credit to the experience that Jessica has <laughs> in all of her years. Oh, shut <laughs> up. I have the same birthday as your daughter, right, Phil? Yeah. 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 Who are, you know, this, we'll, have to have, we'll have to talk about that off this podcast. What a strange, um, my advice to every parent out there that's listening, um, go to your local area of vital statistics um, and get a copy of your child's birth certificate. Well, what? Interesting. Talking about derailing the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, before we dive down that, because we'll talk about that after the show. Yeah. <laughs> Let me it, just ask you then. So it's funny and not funny all at the same time. Oh, geez. Okay. All right. There's so, a reason Phil, that I make that recommendation. All right. All right. Well, we're going to talk about that after the show. But what we do need to talk about for us, yes. Phil, one piece of advice. All right. Testifying in court as an expert, you speak to the experts. Jessica is going to speak to the attorneys. Okay. As an expert, what is, how do you get the most out of your testimony every time for that attorney? It's, it's working with the attorney. Um, you know, you got to be aware of what, as a, as a expert, you know, what's your experience of testifying um, not only as an expert, but as, as an individual period, if you're a police officer, how many times you've been in the courtroom and how comfortable are you sitting in front of, um, or sitting in a witness box, but you, you need to, to know your report in addition to knowing that scenario inside and out. 
and be confident in your report. Know your numbers, know where they came from, why you use those numbers, and, and be able to stand behind them. Because if you're not confident in your in your findings, or not necessarily your findings, but maybe some of the data that's used or you, you pushed a boundary too far, that that's gonna come out. It's gonna be evident. So, you know, don't be overreaching. Um, because at the end of the day, you're trying to convince a jury that is probably going to catch on and be like, mm, wow, that just doesn't add up. And if they're like catching a, on to that, I guarantee so the other side is. A panel van going 10,000 miles an hour, they're, they're going to catch on to that? That was a special van. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or in my case, motorcycle going like a couple, like 500 miles an hour, they just left it dead. It happens. <laughs> I'm telling you, it happens. Man, that's a... I, I want to know what Toyota builds the side of that Prius out of to take like a 500 mile an hour impact with like a scratch. <laughs> that's why they're rated. That's why they got a five-star safety rating. I guess by a Toyota, Toyota Prius. So, all right. So Jessica, from the attorney's point of view, yep. how do you get the most out of your expert? What's the number one? If, the, if you could only do one thing, what is it? Um. It you didn't know I was going to ask you that. That's a surprise question. <laughs> Counselor? <No>. <laughs> <laughs> prepare, prepare them well. And well, it's actually two things. It's one thing, but it's two things. Prepare them well, but also be prepared for potential cross-exam. You know, run through everything with your expert who hopefully doesn't get defensive with you, run through everything that you know the other side is going to hit on. And that has to do with knowing, like Phil said, knowing the case, knowing the scenario a little bit beyond just your individual part of it and your individual role. Because if you get an understanding for the full case, not just what you were asked to do, then you can help to anticipate what might be asked of you, you know, on cross, you know, if it's something, if something in your background or, or whatever, that's going to come out, then, then that's one thing. And that's addressed early. But, you know, if you, if you feel that there's something in your report that you're not completely confident with, you need to be upfront with that, with the attorney so that, you know, they know how to, how to question you on it. And you can anticipate what the other side might, you know, try to poke holes in. Yeah. Absolutely. There you go. I, I want to piggyback off of Jessica for just a second. Nope, you already had sure, your hand. Hop on. Hop on. <laughs> All right. It, I think from the expert, it, you need to understand that this is a um, this is a joint effort between you and the attorney you're working with, and and it needs to be that relationship. So the attorneys need to to definitely work with the experts very closely, and the expert needs to work with the attorney closely. It's not a, this is your job, you're the attorney, this is my job, I'm the expert, because if that is the relationship that's built, that's a failing presentation in the courtroom. Um, because if the attorney knows the expert well enough, or the or vice versa, then they are going to pick up on the body language change. They're going to pick up pick up on the tone change and, and be able to uh oh, you know, transition to a another line or or um, dig a little deeper or so on. You know, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, if the, and as the expert, if you don't feel that you are ready to go in or something that's that's digging at you, then you need to reach out to that attorney and tell yeah. them. Yep. You know, and it's, and it's weird too, because, and here's my final thing is, you know, I think a lot of experts and attorneys put up that wall between them. 
right? Because they go, well, you have to remain fair and unbalanced and impartial. Okay. So we can't ever like, actually, we can't discuss a gate, a case over, over golf or something like that. And do I'm telling you that that's BS. Okay. And here's why, because I, I think I develop a great relationship and so does Phil and so does all my, so do all my experts. Um, I think we develop a great working relationship with all of our attorneys. And because of that, we can be more honest with you. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like Jessica, how many times have you heard us say that's not possible? No, that's wrong. We can't do that. I think you have a problem with this case. You probably yeah. shouldn't take this one, you know, whatever the yeah. case may be. Um, you know what I mean? Like that, that's what can actually happen if you develop a good relationship. So instead of divide, being, putting a wall up to remain yeah. fair and impartial, develop a good enough relationship that you can be brutally honest with that attorney and tell them this is not possible. This, this is where your problem is. Well, and, and, and by the time you get to trial prep, your, your paper has already been authored. It's already been, you know, it's already been sent across the aisle. So there's no reason for you not to have that open, brutally honest conversation. If there is something ugly in the case that, is going to end up getting talked about. It's better off that you and your, you know, the expert and the attorney bring it up before you let the other side bring it up, you know, put it out there. Yep. Absolutely. There you go. Well, Jessica, thank you for coming on again. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me guys. uh, Sorry. Sorry. Phil was here today. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I tried to keep him out, but he knows the password. So, (laughs) well, that's going to wrap it up for the day, guys. As always, if you have a case that you want us to review for free or you just want to connect with us, jump on over to CrashTechReconstruction.com. Also, remember to follow us on Facebook at CrashTech, the Expert Angle Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our show and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to our YouTube channel, CrashTech Reconstruction Services. And finally, remember to always leave your accident victims better off than you found them because at the end of the day, Everything we do is for that.